Now, last Lord's Day, we looked at the apostles or the apostle Paul's panoramic view of what we call the last days. As you know, that was the first message in an intended series of message on current world events in light of the last days. The passage we looked at was 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We emphasized the fact that the reason why Paul focused on these prophetic events was because he wanted to correct the false teaching that the day of the Lord, and specifically the Great Tribulation, had already occurred. This false belief led the Thessalonians to become very disturbed, very distressed, very unsettled in their faith. Because according to Paul's teaching, which he communicated to them just about five, six months earlier, he had taught that the Great Tribulation would not come, not occur until after the believers had been gathered together with the Lord. This is an event we now call the Rapture. Not everybody agrees with it, but that's what we call the rapture. In other words, these believers thought that they were, in fact, left behind. Paul writes to correct this error and to restabilize these folk in their faith because they were very disturbed. So here's what he says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, just by way of review. He says, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, number one, and our gathering together to him, number two, two different events, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure. Their composure was shaken. Or disturbed, they were disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, I want you to note carefully here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul's concern was the restoration and maintenance, maintenance of the spiritual stability of believers relative to prophetic teaching concerning the last days. I want you to see this so you could understand the importance of understanding prophetic truths Accurately, these folk were actually disturbed over this situation. <clears throat> this was also his concern in his first epistle, where he deals with the question, what happens to our loved ones who have died believing in Jesus? Will they be left behind in the rapture, or will they take part of it? False teaching concerning these future events was causing Havoc in the church of Thessalonica. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. This is a very familiar passage to so many people, and it is a comforting passage, but let's read it in the context that the people, at the believers at Thessalonica were disturbed because of what some false teachers were saying. Listen to the text. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, in other words, we want you to be informed. We want you to know what the scriptures teach us about the last days. That's what he's saying. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I want you to notice this now. 
The lack of accurate information with regard to those who have died as believers could cause their living loved ones to grieve as unbelievers who have no hope in Christ. Did you see that? This false teachings caused the people to be destabilized in their faith. They were disturbed emotionally and they were depressed because of the teaching they had received from these teachers after Paul. And notice what he says in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Paul could not have stated this truth with any more force than he does. What he's saying here is that the rapture of the saints can be as surely believed as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. When Jesus returns the second time, he will bring those who have died believing in him with him. That's what he's saying. When he comes back, he's talking about the return of Christ, not the rapture. Because he says when he comes back the second time, the rapture is not the second coming of Christ. It's when he comes to set up the kingdom is the second coming of Christ. When he comes at that time, he's coming with his saints. Paul is making a clear distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. This is an error many believers make today. They mix up the second coming with the rapture. And it causes instability and insecurity to those who hold such a view. Paul then goes on to inform the Thessalonians in regard to the order of the rapture. Notice what he says. For this we say by the word of the Lord. I want you to notice this. This must refer to a special revelation of Jesus directly to the apostle, which means that Jesus himself taught Paul this truth. And Paul had these revelations from God. And this was a special revelation. Notice he says, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The King James Version says prevent. That's an old word that used to mean precede. But it go before. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. I want you to notice again. Paul thought it possible, if not probable, that the rapture could occur in his lifetime. Did you see that? We who are alive and remain. This is what theologians call the eminency of the return of Christ for his saints, or coming of Christ for his saints, meaning that he could come any moment. Now, this corrects another error that, may, that many hold today, and that is that there are signs that must be fulfilled before the rapture occurs. That is not true. If Jesus could have come back when Paul was writing, what signs are necessary? He could come. This is what we call a signless event. It could happen right now. All of the so-called signs of the times in Scripture have to do with the second coming of Christ and are primarily directed toward the Jews, not the church. That's another error that is made. We'll pick this up later, and we'll talk more about it tonight. We're just going to give an overview of it this morning. But I want you to notice something else in this text, because this is another place where error is made. The word for sleep in this passage has to do with the body of the believer, 
not his soul, not his spirit, but his body. The soul, the spirit does not sleep in death. The body does. Upon death, the spirit of the believer goes immediately to be with the Lord. That's what, why Paul teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which he says is very far better. Paul is saying then that accurate information both stabilizes the believer in the faith as well as to give him peace of mind. He continues this correction in verse 16. Notice what he says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Boy, what an event that will be. Then we who are alive, notice what Paul says, we, Paul thought he was going to go up. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not on the ground. And so we shall always be with the Lord in this fashion, in this way, through this method. We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, notice the words, comfort one another with these words. That's why he was trying to correct error, to comfort believers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it wonderful, in fact? Jesus himself will come for us. He's not going to send an angel. Michael ain't got no job here. Jesus is coming himself. Jesus is coming himself to snatch us away. Hallelujah. What a savior. Notice now, he provides more words of comfort for the living Believer, that's Jesus Christ through the apostle. He says that their loved ones who have died will be raised to meet Jesus even before those who are living will be raised. He is really providing a note of comfort. How? By correcting the error of prophetic events. Notice what he says. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So I repeat, accurate teaching of end time events bring comforts to believers, which means, of course, that the false and erroneous teachings concerning future events will result in distress and instability in the faith of believers. And the reason why so many believers today confused because they do not know the word of God they do not study the word of God they study other things but not the word of God and so they will be destabilized no doubt about it at all so Paul then addressed the concern for spiritual stability of believers relative to prophetic teachings by providing accurate information to correct erroneous interpretation. That's what Paul is doing. Underlining the importance of understanding the scriptures. That's my intention this morning also. To do exactly what Paul did. Avoid confusion of believers. To strengthen, to stabilize your faith. My point is to emphasize that this major concern in the Thessalonian epistles is the, correction, the correcting of false teaching regarding the last days. An erroneous understanding 
could result in spiritual and emotional distress. Let me give you a personal example. It happened just a few days ago, and it really blew my mind. I got a call late in the evening, in fact, while I was preparing the message. And the person called, he says, Pastor Lee, you have anything on the Antichrist? You have any information on the last days? Do you, what will happen to people who haven't heard the gospel or accepted Christ if the Antichrist is already here? Now listen, this came from someone who in my mind had no interest in spiritual things, especially for prophetic events. I said, why, why are you asking me these questions? He says, well, I just got together with some other members of my family and friends. All of us believe the Antichrist is on the scene. And we ain't sure we believe us. That all be, that's true. That just happened. So they want me to send all the information. They want to know about doctrine. They want to know, how can I know the Bible is in fact the word of God? Boy, I love that kind of stuff. How do... What happens to the person who hasn't received Jesus Christ? What about those who are still in the, in, the, in, the, in the jungles? What about them? Now, this comes from the feeling that as they look over what's happening in the world today, they believe that a song comes in the end. In fact, they say, do you think the Antichrist is here today? I say, it's possible. I say, he could be here as an adult or he could be here as a baby. But it's possible for him to be here. I say, but I want you to know one thing. I won't know him. He said, what do you mean? I said, because the Bible tells me that the church is going to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed. So I'm saying, I told him, I said, now, you know, if you want that same assurance, what you have to do. But here's my point. These people who have no real interest in Scripture, normally speaking, they look around the world to see what is happening. And they are afraid. They are disturbed. So I know what Paul is talking about is true. It was demonstrated. And that's why when I, I, I felt, you ever felt little things running down your back, your spine, when things happen, uh, like your, the hair in the back of your neck. I don't know if I have any hair in the back there, but <laughs> it stands up. That's how I felt. Because once more I said the word of God has been validated. The very thing I am studying, the very thing I am teaching is what just happened to me. The word of God is the word of God. And when he speaks, we better obey. We need to study the word of God. That's why I say to you, if you came here today to be entertained, you'll be disappointed. I'm here to teach you the word of God because that's what we need today stabilization and encouragement in our faith. Now, Paul makes it a point that the exact order or sequences of these last day events is important in a proper understanding of the last days. You cannot confuse them. In chapter 2 of his first epistle, which we looked at last time, he provides this outline of sequence of events leading up to the great tribulation. Take a look at it again. I want to remind you of it. 
First in the line of events prior to the Lord's return, Paul says, is the apostasy. People will fall away from the faith. People who used to believe in the word is going to fall away from it. And it's going to happen. He calls it the apostasy, meaning that it has been spoken of before. It will happen. People who once held to the truth of the word of God will give it up and fall, follow false teachings. That's what's happening today. Falling away from the word of God as predicted in previous scriptures. Second, the restrainer, who we believe to be the Holy Spirit who indwells the church, will be removed from the earth to allow, thirdly, the man of sin, who we call the Antichrist, to be revealed. Then, in order to prevent the total annihilation of the everyone, Jesus will come back to earth, destroy the man of sin, and set up his own kingdom on earth. That's the sequence of events that he speaks about. Now, this is not Star Wars stuff. This is real. This is true. This will happen. Then, in order to provide or to prevent the total annihilation, I say, of the world, Jesus Christ will come back and put an end to the tribulation, set up his kingdom. We are now going, that was Paul's perspective or panorama. We are now going to look at Jesus' panoramic view of the last days that he himself gives. We call this the Olivet Discourse because this teaching was given on the Mount of Olives. And apart from the book of Revelation, this is Jesus' most comprehensive prophetic teaching in the Word of God. The Olivet Discourse. Now, this discourse is recorded in three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I want you to get your pens and pencil out for this one. By the way, I need to apologize. Again. Last time I said, no one here takes notes. Yeah, never say absolute things like that. Never. All right? When I got out the door, one sweet lady almost committed pesticide. <laughs> she paid possibly I take down notes. She, I, she even correct me if I say A, B, C, and I put them in the wrong order. I leave out. She correct. That's true. So I had to repent in desk cloth. And then I spoke to another lady. She said, possibly I take notes. In fact, she says, I have a... I have uh, devised a way for people to take notes in Scripture. Right, Heidi? And she says it's on her website. I don't know how many any of you people got it. I'm advertising. She's giving me five percent for any sales. <laughs> but she, uh, she showed it to me sometime, and she was working on it before. Very, very nice way of you taking notes and keep it on an ongoing basis. So I want to apologize to those of you who do take notes, uh, but still, there are many of you who don't. But you need to do it this time. All right. Now, tonight we're going to look at this course in detail. We're just laying a solid biblical foundation to see how current world events impact our daily lives in light of the Bible. If we handle the Word of God accurately in doing so, we will be able to know what manner of lives we ought to live while we await the glorious return of Jesus Christ, either by way of the undertaker or the apotheker. Did you get that? All right. Now, I will go into greater detail, I says, in this course this evening. 
because there are many problems with this passage, but I, in order for you to understand it, because this passage caused much confusion to a lot of people. So I'm here this morning to try to follow in the steps of Paul to help you to understand so you will not be destabilized in your faith. All right? All right. Let's look at the passage. As I said, the discourse is recorded in three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read from Matthew first. We're going to focus on this one because this is the primary one. But let me read just a few verses. We're teaching the Word of God. I want you to see the Word of God. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away. When his disciples came up to the point of the temple building to him, and he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and when will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, because Mark is identical to Matthew, they contain the same content, I'll read from Luke 21, beginning at verse 5. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, because Luke's record is normally assumed to be the exact time and contains the exact information as Matthew does, some confusion has arisen in understanding the sequence of the events recorded here. However... Now, here's the important thing. Listen carefully. Although Matthew and Luke are identical, and they are, Luke is not, but yet it's similar, but different. You get that? Similar, but different. This is basic in understanding the sequence of events described here. Certain key points are given by Jesus Christ as markers to identify what he's talking about and we must see where these markers come now both of these records all refer to the destruction of Jerusalem that's clear it refers to the destruction of Jerusalem but notice now Luke is dealing with a conversation that was given in public but Mark is dealing with a conversation that was given in private with the disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, he tells us that those, the four disciples in private were, 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 Peter, um, were Peter, Mark, Luke, and Andrew. Those were the four, but it's private. Now, also, look at it carefully. They are asking for the sign, not for signs. You know, notice that? That's important. They're not looking for signs. They're looking for the sign concerning a special event. This means that actually there are two destructions of Jerusalem being discussed in this passage. Not one. There are two 
Destructions of Jerusalem being discussed, not one. One occurred in 70 AD. That was still some 30 years in the future when Jesus first revealed it. It is in the past for us. 70 AD. This prophecy came true exactly as Jesus predicted. But the second destruction of Jerusalem is still in the future. And it could come sometime in the lifetime of this generation. Now we're going to talk about generation. Could happen in 2010, 15, 20, we don't know. But it will happen. Notice carefully now, verse 4 of Matthew. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. This is so common when it comes to prophecy and Bible teaching. We have people who deliberately mislead people. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. Notice, you see these things, say, don't be scared. What is scaring people today? These wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said, don't be frightened. For those things must take place. But, what? This is not the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But, all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. You mothers who just dedicated your children... You know what birth pangs are. They start off very light, very moderately. Isn't that right? And then as time goes on, it gets wasser and wasser. <laughs> until you, I mean, right? Until you say, get him out of here! <laughs> this is what he's talking about here. Now, no, 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 this now. Listen to Luke's record now, beginning at verse 8. He said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place, but the end does not follow immediately. These folk who called me up, this is where they were. Right here. Right here. They thought, they think right now that the end will follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and signs and great signs from heaven. In other words... Jesus is saying here, everything that I've listed just now are non-signs of the event he's talking about. They're not signs. They are non-signs. Didn't the Bible say that? Now, don't you go, he says, Pastor Lee is disturbing my spiritual faith because he's teaching something I learned differently all my life. Didn't the word say that? 
These are non-signs of the event Jesus is talking about. That's why we've got to find out what event is he talking about. One thing for sure, he's not talking about the rapture. In other words, Jesus is saying, these types, now listen carefully, these types of warfare are a part of the human condition. They must and will occur, and they have been occurring since the creation of man, well, after the fall of man. That's how it is. That's how this fallen world operates. These are not, these are things that are usually a part of the world's existence. So don't be fooled. These things do not signify that I am coming back to set up my kingdom. These are non-signs of the return of Christ. But here is it now. They are similar to what will happen. But only with greater intensity and more frequency. The same way with birth pangs. In other words, everything that is happening now, these are not signs of Christ's return. However, when he does come back, the signs will be just like these things we see here only with greater intensity and greater frequency. That's what he's saying in this passage. Some such events, earthquakes, famines, and so on, are often called what? Acts of God. These are also common events we see today happening. Earthquakes, Floods, fire. Look at the United States. I mean, anything you could name is happening in the United States. That's right. Anything you need. look all over the world, you see these things. People say, The Lord is coming. Not according to Jesus Christ. And you say, Boy, you're really teaching me something different. Well, I'm only repeating what Jesus said. Isn't that right? You got your Bible, look at it. Look at it carefully. These are common events. However, when they, now here is the key, when they all begin to occur in various places at the same time, he says, I want you to understand, this will indicate the beginning of the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning of the beginning. Things will like intensified until the baby is born. I call this the birth pang, or the, or the birth pangs, principle. These things get worse and worse and worse. More terrible, more intense, more awful. You think we live in an immoral world now? You just wait. You think we have spiritual deceivers in the world now? You just wait. You think we have earthquakes and famines and all these? You just wait. The whole world is going to be ablaze with all of these things at the same time and with the power and frequency you just cannot imagine. That's why Jesus says, if he doesn't come to put an end to it, the entire race will be annihilated. Now, of course, these birth pangs have started. They're going on as we speak. But Jesus is saying they do not indicate the end but rather the beginning of the beginning of the end. By this he means that they are not beginning, these are not the beginning of the main event that he is concerned with. 
And what is the main event that he is concerned with here? He is concerned with the great tribulation. Or, as the scholars read it, the tribulation, the great one. Three and a half years. That's what he's talking about. That's what his concern is here. And that's what he is trying to get his people to understand. When he comes back, the coming of Christ, he will put an end to the great tribulation. He will put an end to the reign of the man of sin. And he will establish his own kingdom on earth. And this kingdom is the subject of most of scripture. There are eight times more reference to the setting up of the kingdom of Christ on earth than it is to his coming to die for us. And yet most Christians know more about his death than they know about his coming again. Although the scriptures teach it eight times more than his death. Amazing. Now these little tribulations I call them of a fallen world are representative or symbolic of the great tribulation that will be magnified a thousand times or more in intensity and severity. This is why I say again, it is vital to see exactly what events the text is referring to. Let's look at a vital difference then in these accounts. A vital difference. Notice what he says in verse 9 of Matthew 24. Now, I hope you have your Bibles too. You could look at this, but I want you to see it's coming from the word you got. Notice he says, then they, they will deliver you to tribulation and so on. Do you see the little word, then? Now look over the chapter 21, verse 12 of Luke. He says what? But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and so on and so on. Do you see that? Matthew says, then. But Luke says what? Before, that's the sequence. One reference to one point of time, and the other refers to another point of time. There is sequence of events here. They are not one and the same. However, they do have the same reference points, as we shall see, because there are two reference points that has to do with the before and the after. But the before and the after are not the same thing. And people confuse them. Matthew is speaking about a specific event that will occur during the great tribulation. He calls it what? The abomination of desolation. Now we're going to talk about this tonight in detail. What is this abomination of desolation? Jesus calls this the sign. The disciples ask him, what is the sign? Jesus says, here is the sign. The sign is the setting up of the abomination of desolation. That's the sign of what? We'll see. Next week. No, I'll go on. In other words, this setting up of the, abom of the, abom the abomination of desolation will be a bombshell event. It will be the trigger for the great tribulation to begin. Once this abomination of desolation is set up in the Jewish temple, watch out, Jesus says. Now Luke is talking about the destruction 
of the Jewish temple in 70 AD by the Romans under Titus. Over here, Matthew is talking about the destruction yet to come. Luke is talking about the one that has already happened. He is speaking specifically to the Jews, not the church, special people. He's talking to the Jews. We're going to see this tonight. And next week, Lord willing, or week after, when we talk about Daniel chapter 9, when we see Daniel's panorama of the last days. Now, we'll see that this refers to the great tribulation, the beginning of it. Now, look at verse 29 of Matthew again. I'm sorry, verse 29 of Matthew 24. Notice he says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign, notice now, the sign, here's another sign. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear where? In the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth, by the way, notice there's the sign of the Son of Man, not the Son of Man. He's close with it, but it's not him. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect. From the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now this is referring to the return of Christ, listen carefully, after the great tribulation. This is not the rapture. This is the great tribulation. The rapture, my friends, is never mentioned or alluded to in Matthew chapter 24. Never. Many Christians are confused at this point, especially when they talk about one on the housetop, one left, and so on. That is not the rapture. That has to do with the return of Christ. Set up his kingdom. We'll talk about that tonight. Luke 21, 25 and following is about the same event. But it is not the rapture. It's to return the second coming of Jesus Christ. To set up his kingdom on earth. We call that what? The millennium. Again, more of this this evening. Notice again what is said about the fig tree. This is another error many people are making in this, this passage. Notice what it says. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he's near right at the door. Now, what does the fig tree refer to here? Anybody knows? Israel, Israel. Most everybody says era. Israel. I believe that's an error. Most commentators say this is referring to the Jews. And in particular, they're becoming a nation again. They say the fig tree here refers to this event. Setting up, the coming back of Israel, setting up the kingdom again would happen in 1948. But now notice how Luke records the same event. This is why it's important to compare scripture with scripture. Listen to what Luke says. Verse 29. Remember now, same incident. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. You notice that? That's not the fig tree. The fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. 
So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Notice, Jesus says, all the trees put forth their leaves to tell of the seasons. The point of the fig tree in this passage then is not to say that the Jews will become a nation again and that when this happens, the Lord will soon return. That's how many people take it. It simply says, the same way that one can tell what the season is by looking at how the trees bloom and blossom and bear fruit, so we should be able to look at the signs around us and know that he will soon come. Now, here in this passage, I say again, the fig tree does not represent the nation of Israel and has nothing to do with her becoming a nation. Many were, co many were caused to be distressed in their faith in 1948 because when the Jewish nation became, when the Jewish people became a nation again, everybody started to say, boy, the Lord is here. That's right. People have started to sell their homes. People have gone to the mountaintop. One, fell, one, leading, one leading person who studies prophecy left the United States and went to live in Israel so he could be closer to Jesus Christ when he comes. Why? Because they said the fig tree referred to Israel becoming a nation. And he says, this nation, this, na this generation rather, will see my coming. Many were caused to be distressed in 1948 then when the Lord did not come. Why? Because they misrepresented this specific scripture. Now, here's why they misrepresented the scripture. They thought that this generation in this passage referred to those who were living in 1948. Usually then, and traditionally, one generation is considered to be how many years? Ten years. Most of the time, you look at the generation. So, according to these folk, Jesus had to return by 1958 at the latest. Why? Because the fig tree had budded. But you know something? He didn't come. At least, I hope he didn't. Or else we're all in trouble. Or else we're all in trouble. All right? Now, so he didn't come in 1958. So then they say, no, no. A generation does not consist of 10 years. It consists of 40 years. According to the Bible. That's what they said. You know, this generation, this generation, genealogy. So they said, he would have to come now in 1988. Because he didn't come then. Now if he did come, we're just like the Thessalonians. You realize that, eh? we're in trouble. But he didn't come. But then, believe it or not, these same folks said they made a mistake. And so they came up with another, no, 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 it says according to, and Van Impey is one who led this. A generation... Is five people, uh, is 50 years, not 10, not 40. So, therefore, he said Jesus had to come in 1998. Well, guess what? He didn't come. By the way, this fellow came back who went to Israel. He came back. <laughs> so, you know the rest of the story. He did not come in 1998. And they came up with these ideas because they said the fig tree represented Israel becoming a nation. And they did that in spite of what the text says in verse 36. What does it say? No one except God the Father 
knows exactly when the Lord will come back to set up his kingdom. I mean, it's so clear. But yet they want to set a date. It's amazing. Many are confused and believe that Jesus made a mistake then. That's true. Many people are actually throwing away their Bible because of this. Jesus lied. He made a mistake. Therefore, Jesus could not be the Son of God. Just because of that one error. Many are confused and believe that Jesus made a mistake when he said that this generation, meaning the generation he was talking to, would see the events leading up to his return as well as the return itself. This is not so in actuality. You see, Jesus is speaking, now here's another about two different generations. Follow carefully now. We could diagram the sermon like this concerning the timing of events. And I'm indebted to Chuck Misler for these diagrams. By the way, this is an outstanding fellow. I'm hoping to bring him down here, but you've got to be ready to hold on to your seats. Because this guy speaks about... Anyway, we go back later. Great guy, great guy. Here is how we, how we could diagram it. Jesus appears to be making a different emphasis in, Mass, in Matthew and Luke. However, both Matthew and Luke refers to wars, famines, earthquakes, and so on. And both say that these are the beginning of sorrows. So that's one of the reference points for Jesus. The beginning sorrows. That's in the middle of the chart. Meaning the beginning of the tribulation period. Do you see that? It's the beginning of the tribulation period. This is one of two reference points Jesus uses to show the sequence of events. This one is at the beginning point for his discussion. The ending point is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, both Matthew and Luke also say that they, there will be cosmic disturbances in the heavens at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. All kinds of things going on in the sky. But now, here is where the difference is seen. Now, listen carefully and mark this in your Bible. Matthew, as I said before, uses the word then or after. The reference point is important. He uses these word or this word to identify the time or sequence following the beginning of the tribulation marked specifically by the setting up of the abomination of desolation. In other words, he says, this is the point I am talking to, after this setup, these things will occur. Now he says, the abomination of desolation will occur after the sign of the beginning occurs, following the great tribulation. Look at the reference, you'll see that. The abomination of desolation, after that will come the return of Christ. This is also called the time of Jacob's trouble showing that it is specifically related to the Jewish people. Why? Because Jacob is another name for what? Israel. He is not talking to the church. He's talking to Israel. However, Luke says that the destruction of Jerusalem that he is talking to happens before the time of, Syria, the time of sorrows. You see that? The, the destruction he is talking about happens before these times of sorrows. This is the time when Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus, the Roman governor in 70 AD. We may call this then 
Desolation of destruct, or the desolation of Jerusalem, number one. The setting up of the abomination of desolation would then be what? Desolation, number two. But separated by thousands of years. So this before and this after is separated by thousands of years. But when Jesus spoke about desolation number two, he is referring to the generation that would be alive at that time. Jesus, when he spoke about desolation of Jerusalem number one, was speaking about the generation that would be alive in his time. Do you see the difference? Do you see it? Well, I hope so, because I labored hard over this. Now, this interpretation removes all of the difficulties and provides relief for the depressed and for those who might think that they were left behind or that Jesus had given an erroneous prophecy. All of the problems are solved when we look at it from this perspective. Now, notice. Notice now. Why is this so important? Because these are words of comfort. So I say to you, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Here's another graphic that may help. But just for you to see... What is going on here in the reference points? Two different destructions, two different generations, two different events. My friends, we are living in the times of the signs. That's why you need to understand the signs of the times. We are living in the times of the signs leading up to the time of the greatest global calamities the world will ever know. We ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing. You must come out this evening to see this. Jesus is saying that if he doesn't come to put an end to what's happening, everyone on earth could be killed. No one will be able to survive. But before Jesus comes to put an end to all of this, he will come to take his home back with him in glory. This is what we call the rapture, the snatching away. Now, some believe in it, some don't. Some believe it will come before the great tribulation. Some believe it will come in the middle of the great tribulation. And some believe it will come after the tribulation. But let me tell you something, my friends. Whatever the case, simple logic tells you that you should be ready at any time. So I ask you then, as I close, are you rapture ready? One word of prayer, then we have our offering. Please bow with me. If God's true spirit has spoken to you in any way concerning any of the truths of his word today and you need to make a response to it, this is the time. Perhaps you have given up really relying and trusting in the word of God as the word of God. But now you see it from a prophetic point of view that God is God. He says what he means and he means what he says. You need to place your faith in Christ today so that if he would come right now you'd be ready to go with him. The scripture says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that Jesus Christ came to bear the penalty for our sin. God raised him from the dead to validate the fact that he accepted his death on your behalf. All you have to do is to place your reliance, your faith in him and in his work. For us as believers, oh my friends, the Bible teaches very clearly that the truths of these prophetic events should teach us, should encourage us, should motivate us to live holy lives so that when he comes, we will not be ashamed.
May God help us to be faithful.